Good morning. Isn't it great to be in God's house this morning? Yeah, I'm excited to be here too, and I'm enjoying the cool weather this morning. Uh, it's a whole lot better than it was in Michigan. I was in Michigan last week, and uh, it was really cold. I had a few dustings of snow while we were there, and I'm like, snow in October, how about that? So anyway, it's good to be here. My name's David Johnson, for those of you who might be first-time guests with us. Uh, my wife Susan and I are members here, uh, so this is our home church. I'm one of the founders and the executive director of a ministry called Dulos Partners. Uh, we do international church planting uh, now in, it's hard to believe, 32 countries. Uh, we've seen almost 18,000 churches that have been planted so far, and it's just exciting to see God at work. God is alive and well on planet Earth, as you know. Uh, and uh, it's exciting to get to be a part of that. Uh, as being a part of Dulas Partners, I've had a chance to, to really preach all over the world, and it's been incredible to be able to do that and work with interpreters, and, and I've preached under trees in the middle of villages in India and all over Africa, and so it's been a lot of different settings. But let me just say this morning, there's no place that I would rather teach God's Word than in my church. And I love it here, and I'm thankful for uh, our pastor and his wife and family and uh, for the opportunity that he gives me to teach uh, our church what God's word uh, that, that he's put on my heart. So, uh, so welcome home, pastor. We're glad to have you guys back. Um, hope you have your Bibles with you or your iPhone or your iPad or however you get to God's word. Uh, so go ahead and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. So we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament today. We're going to exegete this passage. Um, also, in your order of service uh, is an outline. So I would encourage you to get your outline out. Uh, I always like to call these listening guides. They're ways to keep you kind of connected to the learning process. My mom used to always tell me that the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. Uh, we remember the things we write down. So would encourage you to write down the points today. As you see on the outline, the message title today is an untainted walk. An untainted walk. You're going to kind of see what that looks like as we, as we unfold the writing of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 4. And what does an untainted walk look like? But I thought for the sake of our introduction, I would define what the word tainted, which obviously would be the opposite of what we're going to be talking about today, looks like. So I want you to write these down. There are four words. There are more words to describe it or to define it. But these are the four that I've chosen. So I want you to write down, tainted means to pollute. It means to contaminate. It means to soil. And it means to adulterate, to pollute, to contaminate, to soil, to adulterate. Now, I know what you're thinking because it, it, it entered my mind, even as I was putting this together, that describes the world. That's what the, what the world does as it relates to the character and the attributes and the truth of God's word. Lost people in a lost world are going to pollute and contaminate and soil and adulterate the truth of who God is and what his plan is all about. And that would be a true statement. 
But today, I just really feel compelled to just to speak to us as the church. Because I want you to know that just because we're Christ followers does not necessarily mean that we will be able to walk through this thing called the Christian life without polluting and without soiling, without adulterating the things of God. As a matter of fact, I, I remember, some of you may or may not know this, but I was the executive pastor at Hunter Street Baptist Church for eight years here in our city. And I, I remember being a part of Samford's program. I, I would get a call every year and say, would you mind being, uh, you know, like a coach or a mentor to one of our religion students as a part of our program, kind of as they go through some OTJ kind of training with pastors and ministers in the field. And so it was a part of their practicum course on ministry. So one semester out of the year, I would have a religion student that would follow me around. We'd go to hospitals, he'd go to meetings, he, you know, would sit back and look at sermon preparation, go to f finance committee meetings, learning about the church. And, and I knew at the end of every one of those semesters, there was going to be a Q&A and he was going to show up or she was going to show up and they would have a notepad and they would ask me these questions. And every time the questions that I knew were coming were these two. What's your greatest joy in ministry and what's your greatest heartache? And it's interesting because the answers were always exactly the same. People. Because you see, my greatest joy in ministry is when I see somebody transformed. When I see somebody come to faith in Christ. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Also, there's no greater joy in me than to see a believer grab a hold of a doctrine, grab a hold of truth of God's word, apply it to their lives, and see the outcome that God intended for us. There's nothing that brings any greater joy for me than to see somebody's lost come to faith in Christ and to see someone saved actually live like they have Christ in them. So it's kind of under that umbrella that I look at the church and realize, I mean, I'm 61 years old. I've been a pastor for 30 years. I'm a churchman. I've seen and heard a lot. I've seen the church pollute. I've seen the church adulterate. You don't know how I know that's true? Because I've done it. So let's talk about what does it mean to live this untainted life, this untainted walk that I desire, and I know you do too. The verse is kind of at the vortex of that. And, and I was reintroduced to this verse back in June of this year, and I have not been able to get this verse out of my head. Do, have you ever had a tune in your mind that you just, you can't get it out of your head, it comes up and you sing it over and over? I got a thing going on right now and I'm listening and I'm singing it and Susan's going like, really David? I mean, can't we just be done with that? That's what this verse has done. It's been in my head every day. I've thought about it every day. I've, I've, I've come to this, this passion inside of me that I want this to be said about me. So here's this 15, 16, 17-year-old Daniel. And it says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile 
himself. There are three words that I want to kind of pull out of this verse. It's all very critical in uh, the talk for today. The first word is purposed. The Hebrew word is mahan. It means purpose. It means intent. It means resolve. So Daniel is saying, I have intent. I have resolve. I'm putting together a plan, a purpose. I'm doing it with great resolve. And what is he doing? He's leading that or he's purposing that in his heart. That word in the Hebrew is the word lave. It's actually pronounced like L-A-V-E, even though it's spelled L-E-B. This word lave is the word for heart. Now, when we're studying the Bible and we read the word heart, that word is not this muscle that's, that's uh, you know, uh, pumping blood all throughout uh, you know, our body. When we look at this word, lave, it means not only the heart, but it also means the mind. It means the will. It means emotion. It means to reason. So when you read the word mind and heart, those are all interchangeable. It all has to do with the inner being, the inner man. So when you look this word up in Strong's Concordance, one of, the, one of the words that you will see is the word inner man. So what he's saying is, I'm going to purpose, I'm going to have resolve, I'm going to have intent, I'm going to put together a plan for everything inside of me so that I will not gaal in the Hebrew. The word ga'al means stained, it means unclean, it means tainted, it means defile. I will not defile myself. What a great goal, what a great purpose for any follower of Christ not to devile ourselves. So what does it look like to have an untainted walk? What, what, what does it look like when a follower of Jesus lives out Daniel 1.8? And we're going to be able to see that as we go back now to Proverbs chapter 4. So number one, I want you to write this. When we have an untainted walk, there is wellness. There is wellness. Now, there, were a, there was a ton of words, and I even batted those words around about which one to make us the fill-in here, and I was talking to Susan about it. There, there's a whole lot of, of words. When, when, when we're living our life in pursuit of righteousness and holiness and purity and an untainted life, there's going to be spiritual wellness. There's going to be spiritual wholeness. There's going to be health. There's going to be life. There's going to be well-being. There's going to be satisfaction. There's going to be contentment. Look at what the writer of Proverbs says. Solomon writing this kind of as a father to his son. The word of God coming to us from our heavenly father to all of us who are sons and daughters says, my son, give attention to my words. And I would say that to us this morning. God is saying, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your mahan. It's the same exact word. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life 
to those who find them and health to all of their flesh. So when we walk out that, when we live that kind of life in pursuit of God's statutes and God's precepts, when we walk those things out, the expectation is and the fruit of that is wellness. It's well-being. It's wholeness. It's peace. Are you like me when I hear the word peace? My antennas always go up because would you guys agree with me today that we don't have a whole lot of peace in the world today? Do y'all agree with that? I mean, that wasn't a rhetorical question. You know, it's okay to nod and it's okay to, you know, shake your head. It's okay to say amen. It's okay to say yes. It's okay to say no. I won't, you know, call you out or stop. I'll keep going, okay? We don't have a whole lot of peace in this world. As a matter of fact, when we look around, we see anything but peace. We see a lost world acting like a lost world, don't we? Because you see the world that we live in, peace is connected to a set of circumstances or a set of situations. And yet for the Christ follower, that's not the kind of peace that we have. That's not the kind of peace which Jesus gives us that passes all understanding. So look at what Jesus said in John 14, 27. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not, listen carefully, as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your, what? Heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. For the believer there should never, ever have this sense of fear. Why? Because we are not alone. We have Jesus indwelling in us if we are his followers. We have the Holy Spirit of God at our fingertips. We have peace, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. He says, my peace I give to you. Number two, I want you to write this. When we have an untainted walk, we guard our thoughts. We guard our thoughts. Look at what verse 23 in Proverbs chapter 4 says. It says, keep your, there it is again, your heart, keep your mind, keep everything inside of you with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of of life. You guys do understand, right? The battles that we fight are not against flesh and blood. You realize that, right? I mean, Paul talks about that. He, 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 he says that in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, you know, the battles we fight are not against flesh and blood, but they're, they're from, the, from the demons and the, and the powers of the air. And, and so, so we're, we're fighting a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual fight. It's not a flesh fight. As a matter of fact, look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, 
Let me stop right there for just a second. Now, obviously, we're walking in the flesh. I mean, you walk around this room, and you look around this room, and you see we're in this room. We recognize each other. We know that we're walking around in a body of flesh. We shake hands. We do maybe even a holy hug or maybe even a holy kiss. And we realize that we are flesh. But the truth of the matter is we're also spirit. Matter of fact, Paul, I think, probably more than any other author in all the scripture, talks about the battle that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. And here he says, for though we walk in the flesh, and we can all come to agreement in that, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So Paul says that we are to put on the whole armor of God, that we are to suit up. We're to be in this war that's of the spirit, not of the flesh. But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, pay attention, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Remember, it's our heart, it's our mind, it's our thought, it's our reason, it's our will, it's our emotions. All those things are together and we're to take all of those things to the best of our ability captive. Now, let me ask you, believer, if you've, if you've pursued that, how easy is it? It's tough, isn't it? I, I just talk from my own experience. Man, I do everything I can to try to take every thought captive. But, man, Satan can get a hold of me like that. The seedbed of sin happens in our thoughts. The seedbed of sin happens in our mind, happens in our heart, happens on the inside. And as it, as it germinates and as it rocks around and he, as he does everything he can to turn that into temptation, to turn that into sin... The truth of the matter is there's no way without the Holy Spirit of God can we take every thought captive. It's just not possible. And so the truth of the matter is we have an amazing uh, tool in our spiritual war belt called the Holy Spirit. And so we have the opportunity that when we feel and we can sense the Holy Spirit or we've sensed Satan coming in, doing everything he can to, you know, to get us off our walk, to get us off our game, to lead us into a sinful situation. We have the promise that we can say, in the name of Jesus, Satan, get thee behind me. And he has no other recourse but to flee. Take every thought captive. Man, I've been a Christian a long time. I'm running hard after that. I get it right more today than I did last year or five years ago or 10 years ago. But let me tell you, when someone's living an untainted life, they're doing everything they can to take every thought captive. When I was pastoring every, you know, every Sunday and teaching every Sunday, when I would get to these parts of the messages, I would always tell our folks, uh, I'm getting ready to go to Medlin. So I, I hope it's okay that I get to go to Medlin if I hadn't already been. So uh, number three, I want you to write this down. When we have an untainted walk, we speak life. We speak life. 
Look at what Proverbs 4.24 says. It says, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Would you guys agree with me this morning that we've kind of lost our way as it relates to our words? Let me just say, I know I've battled that. Maybe some of you have too. You know, part of my role is what I do with, you know, with Dulas Partners is I travel all over America and I, I, I share our story. I, I share the vision of the ministry. I ask people to pray, ask people to get involved. And so I'm around Christendom a lot. I'm, I'm around Christendom inside the walls of the church. I'm around Christendom outside the walls of a church. You know what I've noticed? I, and this is kind of a shocker to me. Is that how many Christians use profanity? Now, I don't know about you, but man, that makes the hair stand up on my spiritual neck. I mean, it's kind of like somebody with long fingernails kind of walking up to a chalkboard and going, I mean, when I hear that word, I just, it's like, oh, are you kidding me? You know, something else that has surprised me, and especially in my kids' generation, because I've heard it come out of their mouths, is this, is this Christians that are crude, in their speak, Christians that are crass in their speak, Christians that are even foul in their speech, Christians that are gross in their speech. I'm amazed at, at, at how all that's done under the umbrella of humor. I, I, I've seen it in, in both sets of my family. I've seen it in front of my own grandkids. Well, let me tell you, I don't think the Lord thinks that's a bit funny. I see it all over Facebook. I see it everywhere. People that are speaking things that just are crude. We also hear words that are flippant. We hear words of slander. We hear words of gossip. We hear words that are critical. We hear words that are mean-spirited. We hear words that are tearing down instead of building up. We hear words that are hurtful. We hear words that are demeaning. Let me just, let me just tell you, I mean, I'm just going to jump over in James where it says, you know, you need to confess your sins one before another. Let me just tell you, I struggle with this. I don't mean to, but, man, it can hit me like that. And I talk down to my precious wife. I demean her. I hurt her with my words. Now, I've never laid a hand on her or even thought about raising a hand to her, but I've spoken to her harshly. You know what I asked her to do? I said, when you hear me start to do that, I want you to choose some words that will let me know that I'm doing that. You know the words we agreed on? That's it. So when I start that, when I start getting negative with her, when I, start, when I start demeaning her, you know what she does? She just says, that's it. And so I go, oh, baby, I'm sorry. So that's it. So I'm rocking along. I'm being my own goofy self, and I'm rocking along. And then she'll say, hang on a second, David. That's it. Let me say, I have gotten much and much and much and much better at this. Do I have it all figured out? No, but do I have it? Is it better? Yes, and that's it has helped me. Now, I don't know what's going on in your relationships, but you might just need a that's it 
Because you see, it's all a heart issue. So don't shoot the messenger here. Jesus is the one who said that. In Matthew 12 and in Matthew 15, Jesus says, you brood of vipers, as he's talking to the religious leaders of his day, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the, what church? Heart. The mouth speaks. But those things, in Matthew 15, 18, which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they, what? Defile a man. So when I speak that way, when you speak that way, it defiles us. It pollutes truth. Because you see, the Bible is very clear about how we're supposed to speak. You know, Paul in Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your words be seasoned with what church? What church? Salt. We have a little dispute in our house over salt. Any of y'all have a dispute over salt? My doctor has told me, you know, I need to use less salt, and I do. But there's one thing that Susan and I particularly are odds at about salt, and it's watermelon. How many of you in here put salt on watermelon? Would you raise your hand? Praise Jesus. See, I'm sure you guys are living untainted lives. <laughs> Susan was in the 830 service sitting right over there, and I looked over, and she was just going... See, I love salt on my watermelon. When I think about salt, I think about the fact that it's an enhancer. I mean, for me, it makes things better. I like it. See, that's the way our words ought to be, right? See, our words ought to make things better. Our words ought to enhance our relationship, not tear our relationships down the writer of proverbs 15 says this very familiar verse a gentle word turns away wrath we should be kind with our speech we should be gentle with our words and of course now jesus always weighs in and hammers us right i don't know about you but boy jesus got this big old hammer in my life and he just smacks me with it because in Matthew 12, 36, he says, you will give an account for every idle word you speak. Now, I don't know if that makes you have a spiritual stomach ache, but it does me. Because if every idle word we're going to give an account for, what about our profanity? What about our crudeness? What about our mean-spirited? What about our words that tear down? We will give an account and those who are living an untainted life have learned to submit to the Holy Spirit and get control of this little thing in our body called the tongue. There may be some things that can be more destructive than the tongue, but if it is, it's not many. Because the Bible talks about that. You remember, the Bible talks about how small a rudder is that turns a huge ship. The Bible talks about this little small bit in a horse's mouth that turns this big, powerful animal. Let me tell you something. The tongue is a strong thing for good, but it's also a, a strong thing for evil. I'm going to chase a little rabbit here. 
I'm going to get away from the context of this passage for just a second. Because one of the things that the Lord has really been after me about, and I, I, I remember us going through this sermon series several, several, several months back that was called the Quiet Time Series. Do y'all, do y'all remember that series, the Quiet Time Series? Uh, we we kind of came together as, as pastors and as leaders and just said, hey man, I want to share with you what God's teaching me in my quiet time. So I'm getting ready to sort of teach you what God's been teaching me over the last couple of months about this. Because the truth of the matter is we can defile ourselves by what comes out of our mouth, but we can also defile ourselves by what we put into our mouth. Now, I eat out for a living. I don't know how many of y'all do that, but I eat out for a living. Not unusual at all that I meet with a donor or potential donors, and I'll eat out three meals a day. I don't know about you, but I have a love affair with food. We live in the right culture in the South for that, right? I mean, you can't go anywhere without somebody, you know, pressing something towards you to eat. It's called hospitality. I love that. But now that I'm 61 and my, my metabolism has slowed down, I, I've, I gained 40 pounds. And all of a sudden, the Lord really began to convict me about, what are you doing with my temple? Because guess what? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that 70% of adults in America are either obese or overweight? 70%. You don't even have to have really good eyes to see it. I mean, you can just walk around and see that we as a culture are overweight. I've lost 15 pounds since June, and let me tell you, it's not easy. I have 25 more pounds to go. Pray for me about that. Because I believe, just as Daniel was saying here, I'm not going to eat the king's delicacies. I'm not going to eat the things that are outside of the eating plan that God gave me that's what? Good for my body. My favorite two foods on the planet is a cheeseburger and a Krispy Kreme donut. Anybody in the room say amen to that? How can something that goes in your mouth that melts into nothing be fattening? I, I, I just hadn't figured the chemistry of that. I mean, you don't, even have to, you don't even have to chew those things up. You just put them in there and they melt. I'm going to talk to the Lord when I get to heaven and say, why couldn't broccoli taste like a Krispy Kreme donut? See, it matters what we put into our mouth because we only get one chance at this thing called life, right? We only get one chance at this body. I want to, as the patriarch of my family, be around as long as I can because I want to pour into my grandkids. I want my grandkids to know more about Jesus. I want to have an opportunity to preach more about Jesus. I want to have an opportunity to be a part of what God's doing in the world. The way we do that is take care of the temple. Not even talking about alcoholism, tobacco use. I mean, think about all the things that we do to our body. Because make no mistake, we do defile with what goes out and what comes in. We need to be careful 
about what we say and what we put into the temple. And then number four, when we have an untainted walk, we are also to be careful with our eyes. Look at what the writer of Proverbs says. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Now I'm getting ready to make a very profound statement. One that's taken me my whole life to come to this conclusion. That men and women are different. Boy, men and women are different, aren't we? Let me tell you, as it relates to what goes into our eyes, the things we read, the things we watch, men and women are still very different. As a matter of fact, I don't, it's hard to believe it was that long ago, but in 2011, there was a book that came out called Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, let me just say the genre of that movie or that book is erotic romance. Who would pick that book up and read it? But you know what? Everywhere I went around Christendom and the church, I heard women talking about, hey, have you read Fifty Shades of Grey? Crazy book. Have you read it? You ought to read it. Crazy book. You see, we talk about pornography, and we talk about men, and we're going to talk about that. But we rarely talk about women and what they're, what they're reading. What they're, what, you know, because all of a sudden, there's a difference, right, between a book, this soft porn, and something that you're watching, there's a hardcore porn. No, there's no difference. You know what I also heard? The next year, there was a movie that came out in June of 2012, you know, that, that was called um, a Magic Mike. And you know, I mean, literally in Sunday school class, walking down the halls, inside the walls of the church, I heard women saying, hey, have you seen Magic Mike? I saw women putting it on their Facebook post. You do realize that that movie is about male strippers, right? Do you know 125 million as of as of 2015 when the book 50 I mean the movie 50 Shades of Grey came out 125 million copies of that book had been had been sold. There's a second book that's on the way out. There's a sequel movie that's on the way out 50 Shades of Grey. Do you know that there are 50,000 pornography websites? 50,000. They're estimating 240 million pages. Barna's latest research says that 65 or 64 percent of men in America are on pornographic websites monthly. And everything that we see is not much difference. Only a few percentage points differences of those who are believers and those who are non-believers. Not really very many percentage points even between pastors and the culture. It matters what we put our eyes on. And by the way, God is looking through the lens of what you look at. 
Because you might can put your mask on and fool us and fool your family. But I want you to know you can't fool him because he knows your every thought. Pretty sobering, huh? Jesus wades in here and he says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. What we look at matters. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. So David, what should we do? We should make a plan. That's exactly what Daniel was talking about when he said, I purposed in my heart. He made a plan. Don't wait until you get in the back seat on a date to make a plan. You've got to have the plan done before you get in the back seat on the date. You've got to have a plan about what kind of movies that you're going to watch. Let me tell you, in the Johnson family, no R movies regardless. No R movies. As a matter of fact, we even go on to all the website and we look at the, the PG-13 movies. Because let me tell you, I'm old. And I want you to know that the, the movies back in my day, my teenage day, that were ours would make the PG-13 movies look silly today. Did you know the worst profanity, you could have three of them in a movie and be PG-13? Do you think it matters, y'all, what we look at and what we listen to? It matters. Make a plan. Follow that plan. Let me recommend a great movie to you. Susan and I saw it yesterday. Now, we love movies. We love really popcorn and Coke better. We go for the popcorn and Coke and a movie breaks out, but we try to be there for a movie that would honor God. I mean, we like to think, okay, would we be watching this if Jesus were sitting right here next to us? That's a pretty good plan. Would we be doing this if Jesus were sitting right here next to us? Guess what? I hate to tell you, he is. Let There Be Light is a great movie. We saw it yesterday. Please, please, please go see it. Please, as a matter of fact, whenever faith-based movies come out, go see them. You go, David, some of them are B-rated. Go anyway. If we're ever going to continue to raise the bar, raise the level of, number, of, of, of the number of movies like God's Not Dead, God's Not Dead 2, all those kinds of movies, we as the church need to support that. So what's my plan? I mean, you, you may be going, but David, I travel for a living. Hey, listen, I'll put my travel schedule up against any of you in here. I mean, I've, I've been gone over 1,800 nights in the last 10 years. You do the math. I've spent a lot of time in hotels. So what's my plan? I don't turn on the TV. That's my plan. I take my laptop with me. I was in Nashville two weeks ago, and I'm in a hotel. You know what I watched? War Room. Incredible movie. Convicted me. I mean, every time I watch it, I cry. Is that true for you? I mean, I'm crying. I'm convicted. Man, I, man, I want to pray like that. Don't you want to pray like that? So when the movie was over, guess what I did? I prayed. Have a plan. Maybe your deal is unplug it. I don't know, but make a plan because what we look at matters. As a matter of fact, number five, I want you to write this down. When we have an untainted walk, we are narrowing our focus. Narrowing, narrowing, narrowing. 
look at what Proverbs 4.26 says. It says, ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. You know, the Bible says narrow is the road and the narrow is the gate that leads to life and wide is the road and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. We need, as Christians, not to be widening our focus. We need to be narrowing our focus. When somebody says to me, David, you're pretty narrow. I say, man, that's a great compliment. Thank you. Because the truth of the matter is, God wants us to be narrow. Just like he said, he said, man, don't let your eyelids look to the right or to the left. I mean, keep your eyes on the path that I have set for you. Why? Because it's what's best for you. I don't do these rules, all this stuff, just to make you miserable. I give you these things because these are what's best for you. Look at what the writer of Psalm 119 says. It says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, and I hope this is every one of ours witness. Therefore, I hate every false way. Wow, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And I have sworn and confirmed that I will emphatically keep your righteous judgments. Now, we live in a culture of outcomes. I mean, everywhere you go and everything, when you're in for-profits and not-profits and everything else, and everything you read in business books and all those kind of things, it's about outcomes. So I want to give you four outcomes. There are way more than four, but these are the four that came to me, so these are the ones that I want you to consider. Number one, when we follow God's plan, when we walk out an untainted walk, we have healthy and long-lasting relationships. Last week we were in Michigan, as I said, and visiting Brian, our oldest, and his family, and um, Wednesday was a special day for us because Susan and I celebrated our 42nd wedding anniversary. Now, I know you know that we were 12, right, when we got married, but it was such an amazing week. We were ready to get on the airplane to fly home on Thursday afternoon late, and there was a young girl behind the counter because everybody's young now. It's kind of weird, but anyway, this young girl behind the counter. And she said, what's up with y'all? I said, what do you mean? She said, there's this kind of glow about y'all. What's up with y'all? I said, well, we love each other. You what? Yeah, we, we, we love each other. Well, how long have y'all been married? 42 years. You know what was next, right? How in the world did y'all do that? I said, it was easy. She said, easy? I said, yeah. We followed God's plan for marriage. Has it been perfect? No, because we're imperfect people. Have we made mistakes? Yes, we've made mistakes. Have we learned from our mistakes? We've tried very hard to do that. But let me tell you. I wouldn't take anything for my bride and for our marriage. Other than my relationship to Jesus, my relationship to her is amazing. I said, God's plan is why we've had 
a long-lasting relationship. You want to have a long-lasting relationship? No matter where you are in your relationship right now, watch what you say. Watch what you look at. Watch how you act. Because let me just go ahead and tell you. Communication goes way beyond our words. Because you see, we have nonverbal communication. And this, you can do that without saying a word, and I promise you the outcome's not going to be great. Number two, when we follow God's plan, we have joy and contentment. Because you see, our joy is not connected to our circumstances. When the Bible says to be content in all things and rejoice in all things, the only way we can do that is because of number three, and that is when we follow God's plan, we realize that this world is not our home. We are sojourners. We are passing through. Now we have a role to play, but the truth of the matter is Jesus has already prepared a place for us. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions, and I've gone to prepare a place for you. And listen, 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 this, praise Jesus, is not it for us. I am so thankful I'm not going to spend eternity in this body hurting where I hurt right now. We're going to get a new body. There's going to be no more pain, no more suffering. That's what's waiting for us as Christians. And yet God has left us in the flesh, in this place. Why? Number four. And this is an outcome because when we follow God's plan, we live a missional life. The reason Jesus is tarried is so that you and I as Christians to share the gospel with those who are lost. The reason that we're still here is to share the reason for the hope that we have, which is in Jesus Christ the Lord. That's why he's tarried. That's why we're here. We are sojourners. This is not our home. We're working toward the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So I just let you in on some of the things that I'm working on in my life. This is a, a strong passage of scripture. We need to guard our thoughts. Take them captive. Let's guard our mouth. Let's speak life, not death. Let's be careful with our eyes. You know, let's, let's do everything we can to narrow our focus and think on the things of God. When we do that, we'll have an untainted walk. When we do that, we can see some of the outcomes that we've talked about today.